The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Jesus said to his disciples, As the Father loves me, so I also love you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because the slave does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've told you everything I have heard from my father. It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Jesus did not end war on the planet. He did not end poverty. Jesus did not end the abuse of the natural world. What Jesus came to do was to bring God, to make us aware of who God is. And so in the first letter of St. John, which was the second reading today, this is why he says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. Everyone who loves is begotten by God and knows God. Whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. And so think about that, that God is not just affection. God isn't just the erotic. Jesus says, God is to love as I love you. And how does he love? He says, no greater love there is than to lay down your life for a friend. The word that's used in the Johannine literature is agapeo. That's actually the Greek word. And it's, uh, I don't want to say it's disinterested because it gives the wrong kind of idea about it. But it's a love that is not self-seeking. It's a love that's able to give your life in martyrdom, knowing that your life is actually coming to an end. But it's this expression of your trust and your faith in this God that keeps all of us in existence. God is the love of another as another. It's not a love that forces change on another person. It's a love that always invites the free response of another person. That's why St. John Paul said, we cannot impose the gospel. We can only propose the gospel. But as the early Christians, the apostles, took this understanding of God out into the world, what they encountered, and they knew well, was the pagan understanding of God, which I would suggest still dominates how people think about God. The pagan understanding of God is Zeus, Olympian Zeus, throwing down lightning bolts, his brother Poseidon destroying ships with fire. It's a God who is just bullying you into whatever their will is, which is an irrational will. I mean, if 
you think Jesus is a myth, you haven't read many myths. The Greeks and the Romans have horrible gods. St. Paul said, St. Augustine actually said, really, they're just demons. And it's the problem when you worship God just as nature. You worship God as the economy. You worship God as the sensual. God put this great order into the universe that brought us into being. That's the great beauty of science, is it tells us about just the elegance of natural reality, but also the light and the dark side of it. But that same God brought a moral order into the world, something that applies in some sense to what animals do, but in a very different way to human beings. We're made to be the image and likeness of God in the world. And that's really what's at stake in the very first reading, which you may have thought was odd. And so here's Peter. He has this dream about God making all things clean. And so he comes because he has a dream to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius is a pagan Roman centurion. But he's had this dream about God. And so Peter performs a sign because in the Acts of the Apostles, Peter and Paul do miracles. I mean, miracles do happen. Miracles mostly we're unaware of because we don't understand what a miracle is. But when Jesus cures a lame person, he never gives them wings to fly. When Jesus cures the blind, he never gives them x-ray vision, right? Because all of God's love in whatever kind of miracle happens in our life is about bringing us back to be fully functioning human beings. Fundamentally, to learn to love one another as God loves and to be loved by another. And so here's the opening lines from the reading from Acts of the Apostles. When Peter entered, Cornelius, the pagan, met him. And falling at his feet, Cornelius paid him homage. Peter, however, raised him up saying, Get up, I myself am also a human being. Because in the Greek myths, when Zeus would walk in, he would do some sign. There would be thunder rumbling or something. Then you knew a god was among you. And so for the pagans, that's how they see the divine. But Peter says, no, God's present in the work of the church as the church preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's three ways of seeing God. How about unbelief, where you could just arise and say, yeah, something had to start all of this. So there probably is a God, but whatever connection that God has to me, I don't know. Mostly, a lot of Americans believe in God. They just don't see the connection. They may have vaguely Christian beliefs, but it's not anything that draws them to make any change in their life, to become part of the Christian community, or seriously undertake the response to God's grace of a saint. And so, here's how C.S. Lewis would describe it. Imagine you're sitting in an armchair and you're smoking your pipe. You all smoke pipes. And... As the smoke goes out, you notice a shaft of light coming through the smoke, and you clearly see it. He says sometimes that's how people see God. 
They see it as, yeah, that's a reality, but what's this have to do to me? So here's what C.S. Lewis says, how the sinner sees God. Because to convict yourself of sin is to believe that there's a lawgiver and that we have transgressed that law. But once you believe that you are in this divine world and there's something about you, sin, that disconnects you from being who God made you to be. C.S. Lewis says it's like you get up out of that armchair, you walk over to that beam of light and you stand in it. And you experience that light differently when it's striking you right there. But when you look, what do you see? You see a shadow. You see a place where God is blotted out. And that's what sin is. It's our capacity to blot out God in this world. So he says there's a third way to see God. And he says, imagine you understand that you're a sinner. And you do know Jesus' commandment to love one another as he has loved us. And so you begin the hard work of trying to repent of sin, Stop doing those things which blot God out and then live a life of virtue, especially of charity, of faith and hope and love, the three theological virtues. Here's how the saint sees God. The saint stands in that same beam of light but increasingly doesn't see the shadow, only sees the light. Because the saint is a person who becomes part of the light. You know, we always celebrate baptism at this time of year because baptism in the early church was the mystery, the mysterium of illumination. Baptism is how you pass through death, experience your own inadequacy, and rise with Christ. That's what it means to be the church. That's the point of baptism. God's grace has touched you and made you part of the light. And your whole life of discipleship is how you learn to live in the light. So Jesus says in the gospel, as the Father loves me, so I also love you. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And so God loved us when we were sinners, right? God loved us before we knew any of this. So God's grace is always the prime moving force in our life. Most of us experience our shadow side because I always say, if you start getting older and you're practicing your faith and you get more convinced of all the ways you've screwed up the goodness of your life, I say it's like driving down a road at night with your headlights on and everything looks great until the sun comes up over the mountains as you drive to the east. And then what you see on the windshield are all the dead bugs. That's participation in God. That's how you know God is in your life. Illumination. You'll start to understand. And instead of being overwhelmed, because it's easy to be overwhelmed because you go, can't go back and change the past, you have trouble, we have trouble enough changing our present it's to trust in God's grace and through prayer 
the sacraments, and through a life of virtue, we have hopes for ourselves that one day we will live as children of that light. Your Mother's Day is a beautiful example of this Christian hope. Did you know that in our country for about the last six years, people committing to marriage has been in steady decline? The birth rate in our country and through most of the developed world is not at a replacement rate. I think have, for us to have a future America, uh, families have to have 2.2 children. Or two children that actually are just better than normal children, I guess. But it is kind of a numbers thing about replacement rate. So what happened in China, why there's so many males as opposed to females because of the role of abortion in Chinese family planning. What's it say to be a people of hope that hopes if we don't have children, things get better? That's crazy. And it's part of how our Western culture has slipped its moorings, not simply from its Christian past or its Christian present or a Christian future. What it's given up on is hope. That the only thing that we can have is the pleasures we can grab for ourselves. Or it's, I would love to have a family, but I gotta wait till I have the perfect career in order to do this. Or it's any number of reasons, including contraception, abortion, promiscuity, all of these things which undermine the connection between man and woman, parents and children, in a couple of weeks, we'll celebrate the Feast of Pentecost and then the Feast of the Most Holy Trinity. Because the image of God we're given in the Most Holy Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's how human love comes to fruition. You know, it's not easy. And the reason people get discouraged is being married isn't easy. Having children isn't easy. Living with your fears about the future is not easy. What we want is a God, I think, in America that simply affirms everything about us and having an easy life. Because we are a pleasure-absorbed culture. But every time a man and a woman believe in each other and marry, a woman believes in her child and even as single mothers who can be so courageous that they live in the hope of their child to be born. It's why we honor mothers not as some sentimental thing, although I hope we all are very sentimental about our moms. I am. Love can bring that kind of affection, that kind of self-sacrificing love can really surface that kind of affection even in an adult child of a deceased mother. But when we remember that what a mother at her best lives is a self-sacrificing love that gives up her body, her future, and care and concern for another. Not another she can control, but another that enriches the kingdom of God. That is to see motherhood in an illuminated way. That's to understand the beauty of your mother 
who wanted you to be who God made you to be. Not living out her expectations, but a person who lives fully in the light. And so today, when we remember this uh, wonderful gospels about that God is love, which means love is God. How we experience the love of God when we're truly faithful and forgiving in marriage and in the single life, mothers and fathers who struggle to raise children, they will remember Jesus' call is to call, is to love in season and out of season, to love like God loves. And when we do that, we abide in God.